Section 7 of The Crime of the French Café and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Crime of the French Café and Other Stories by Nicholas Carter Chapter 7 The Wardrobe of Gaspar's Friend Nick Carter is hard to kill. A good many crooks have tried to put him out of the world, and a fair percentage of them have lost their own lives in the attempt, without inflicting any injury upon Nick. He is a man of resources, and that's what saves him. When one thing fails him, he finds something else to take its place. And so, when that rope gave way, he took the next best thing. That happened to be the sill of the window of Mr. Jones's bathroom. Nick seized it with a grip of iron as he shot downward. The strain on his arms was something awful, but he held on. His fingers gripped the wood till they dented it. In two seconds he had scrambled through the window into Jones's flat. It was done so noiselessly that the colored servant in the room directly opposite, across the narrow shaft, was not disturbed in a reading. From the bathroom Nick made his way to the hall, and thence to the parlor, where Mr. Jones, to judge by the light in the window observed by Musgrave, had decided to spend the evening. Mr. Jones was not visible when Nick looked into the room. The bedroom adjoining was also empty. Nick ran through the flat, but saw nobody. He returned to the parlor, and there stood Mr. Jones under the chandelier. "'Well, upon my word!' exclaimed Jones. "'How did you get here?' "'I might ask you the same,' said Nick. "'But it isn't worth while.' "'I've been here all the time.' "'Except when you were on the roof.' "'Nonsense! What should I be doing on the roof?' "'It wasn't what you were doing. "'It was what you were undoing that bothered me. "'You were undoing the knot with which I fastened my rope "'before I descended your air shaft to get a peep at your servant.' "'Nonsense again, Mr. Carter. How could I get to the roof?' "'I'll show you just how it was done. In the first place, you saw me coming back to the house, and you guessed what I was going to do. You went into this room, and Nick dragged Jones into a sort of closet adjoining the parlor, and you got out of that window onto the fire escape. That led you to the roof, and the rest was simple. You saw me go down,' and you tried to make me go down farther and a good deal faster. But you failed, and the game's up. Now come to headquarters again. What for? For trying to kill me. That's the charge against you. And I haven't got through with you on that other matter. But for heaven's sake, pity my wife. What's the matter with her? She will be crazy when she gets back and finds me gone. One of my men will tell her where you are. Why did you lie to me about her going out? I've a great mind to place her, too, under arrest. You can't do it. It's no crime to dodge a detective. I admit that she did it, but for a very innocent purpose. She has gone to see our lawyer. Very well. I will attend to that later. Now, come with me. Nick took Jones to the street. Musgrave got a policeman, and Jones was put in his care. Musgrave remained on the watch for Mrs. Jones, while Nick went to get a report from Patsy, who was shadowing Gaspar. 
Jones's last words to Nick were these. I am a victim of circumstances. I had nothing to do with the murder in the restaurant, nor with any attempt upon your life. You are doing me a grave injustice. If you were not as blind as a bat, you would see who the real criminals are. These words were pronounced in a calm and steady tone, and it cannot be denied that they produced a great effect upon Nick. If it should prove that I have wronged you, he said, I will repay you for the injury to the limit of your demand. And the detective did a lot of hard thinking while he was walking toward Gaspar's lodgings, where he expected to meet Patsy. Certainly if Jones ever succeeded in establishing his innocence, he would have won a friend in Nick Carter, whose goodwill is worth a fortune to any man. Nick found Patsy outside the house where Gaspar lodged. "'I'm dead on to this fellow,' said the youth. "'He's just about ready to flit. "'He's bought lots of stuff today and is flush with money.' "'A man just went in there with a suit of clothes. Two delivery wagons from dry goods stores have been here. "'I suppose that the stuff they brought belongs to the woman who is going with Gaspar. "'Have you seen her?' "'No. She has kept mighty dark.' "'Hello. What's this?' Nick drew Patsy more closely into the shadow of the steps by which they were standing. A carriage rumbled over the pavement and stopped before the door of Gaspar's lodging house. "'Upon my word,' said Nick, "'it's my old friend Harrigan on the box. The way people keep bobbing up in this case is something wonderful.' "'Perhaps the woman's in the cab,' whispered Patsy. On the contrary, the cab was empty. Harrigan got off the box and rang the bell. Nick heard him ask for Gaspar Lebeau. Gaspar was summoned. "'I've two trunks for you,' said Harrigan. "'For me?' asked Gaspar. "'Yes. A young woman hired me to bring them, and she said it would be all right. You'd pay the price.' "'What sort of a woman?' "'A very gallous French siren, with a big white hat and a black plume as long as the tail of me horse.' "'All right,' said Gaspar promptly. "'Bring in the trunks.' They were carried up the stairs to Gaspar's room. Harrigan mounted the box and drove away. "'Follow him,' said Nick. "'Bring him back here in about half an hour.' Patsy darted away in pursuit of the cab. Nick walked up to the door of Gaspar's house and rang the bell. He was directed to the Frenchman's room. Gaspar was examining the two trunks. He looked very much embarrassed at the sight of Nick. "'What's all this, Gaspar?' asked the detective. I hear you're going back to France. I? Oh, no. New York suits me much better. But what are these trunks doing here? Gaspar looked particularly foolish. They are the property of a friend, a lady. To tell the truth, I hope to marry her. A charming girl, monsieur, and innocent as a dove. Why does she send her trunks here? Ah, that I do not know. It was not agreed upon. Have you any idea what is in them? Her wardrobe. Ah, she is extravagant. She buys many dresses. But then, what would you have? When one is young and beautiful. Gaspar finished his sentence with a sweep of the arms. They are heavy, said Nick, lifting one of the trunks and setting it crosswise on a lounge. He took a bunch of keys from his pocket. Gaspar seemed aghast. "'You would not open it,' he cried. "'Perhaps it won't be necessary,' said Nick. "'This may answer.' 
he drew a knife from his pocket and opened one of the blades, which was sharpened like a very large nut-pick. With a sudden movement, he struck this into the bottom of the trunk, and then withdrew it. A dark red stream followed the blade when it was withdrawn. The end of the trunk projected over the side of the couch, and the red fluid dripped upon the carpet. "'My God!' exclaimed Gaspard. "'It is blood!' "'So it would seem,' said Nick, quietly. He set the trunk upon the floor and snapped back the lock with a skeleton key. Then he threw open the lid and revealed a mass of excelsior and scraps of newspapers. This being torn away disclosed a dead and ghastly face, the face of unfortunate Corbett, the waiter. End of section 7 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona